having me and for those of you who have not heard me on the podcast before um you should definitely go back and listen to the older episodes but i am amalia dillon uh, author of fantasy mythic fantasy and fantasy romance i am also amalia caracella author of historical fiction and mythic retellings i guess that's that's what we're calling these things these days um and I first, am, she was first featured on the orc episode. I was if you're yeah. not, orc asm. Yes. Um for for honor among orcs. Uh yes. As Amalia Dillon. And and additionally, I am also Amalia Teresa, an author of really sexy contemporary romances. So I think that covers With periodic visits to the spanking corner. There is there is a spanking corner in book one. Please use caution. Rip. Rip. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe you would do this. <laughs> as long, okay, as long as the whole plot isn't geared towards spanking, like, it's, I can do it. Like, if, if literally the entire plot is a function of facilitating no. the need to be spanked, I, I can't, I can't with that. No. I can't. Those dragon books, Amalia, I'm telling you, <laughs> we're all about spanking. Listen, I, I recently picked up a book that, that apparently is also all about spanking, and it's a lot. It, that's it's that's a, lot. a lot. That's a lot. It's not an exaggeration to say the entire plot is geared yeah. towards like someone needing to be yeah, spanked. Like, yeah, it is a whole subject. Yeah, no, it started like the book that I'm reading or that I picked up and and started reading. I still haven't finished it because it's just it's a lot of spanking. It, it opens it's a lot with of yeah, usually it, it opens with a like this girl, like these guys in the gallery watching like one of their one of their sisters being birched by the father oh. and getting oh. like riled about it. It's it is really it's a lot. Hey, that's a, a hey, fam. That's fucking weird. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, I my feelings are very confused. The the like drag so there's this like uh I I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but there's a series about like dragon shifters and it's like a world where there's like a whole bunch of shifters, but it's like set in a vaguely medieval Europe-ish world, right? Where uh these like four ancient dragons they're like the last of their kind they're dragon shifters and each book is like one of them awakening after like uh they're like many hundreds of years long slumber or whatever to find their mates uh and like repopulate the world with dragons uh and these books have that plot that plot is absolutely secondary to spanking. No! And, no! And, and so like i read the first one and i was like okay maybe it's just this one and then so i went to read the second one and the second one was 
somehow fucking wilder than the first because it opens with this like bekilted, like mohawked dragon man emerging from his slumber and to to an assassin a, a young woman like who's a witch or whatever the fuck like coming in to like to kill him in his sleep because there's like a the, the this myth in her her clan in her coven that uh he, the dragon this particular dragon is like the enemy of their people and he like had kidnapped and, and assaulted one of their women and it was like the real story is that they were mates or whatever at the time and then she dies and then he goes into his slumber and he wakes up and finds that his assassin a descendant of the same clan as his former mate is also his mate all of that is fucking secondary to the fact that he immediately is like you're my mate you're trying to kill me you need to be punished for trying to kill me let me put you over my knee and they and she like really likes it but is like how can I enjoy this I need to kill him and it's and that's the whole book. See, and that's the other thing. Like, it's one thing when it's like consensual, like both parties. It's never con- hey, it's like never consensual in these board. books. It's never okay. But in my book, it is yeah. fully consensual. Yeah, everybody is on board. Like they have like talked about what this like like when they get to the moment, there is already like every everything is like we have a safe word. It's Aragorn, by the way, in case you were wondering what kind of nerds are in these books. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Amalia. <laughs> At least it's not Gimli. <laughs> and like, uh, like, so there's, it's, it's totally consensual because like that, that's totally, that's a different thing than like, uh, <laughs> in these books, it's never consensual. It's always like. Either yeah. they, like, force the woman into being spanked, yeah. or they coerce yeah. her into being like, yeah. you physically cannot leave until you let me spank you, and then you're going to sob and freak out and be in horrible pain, but you're going to like it against your will. Yeah. And it's like, all of these books, it's fucking bananas. That's not what we're talking about today, but I just want to say, <laughs> when I'm talking about a spanking corner, that's what I mean. And the fact that I got another spanking implement from my friend for my birthday <laughs> makes my, like, wall over here that you cannot see. Uh, I've got three different whips now, and they think it's hilarious. I mean, I find it kind of hilarious also. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, four. I also have a paddle. I have an acrylic paddle. Nice. This is one I got for my wow. birthday. Get that good wow. ASMR. Wow. My mom came and saw this. Nice. She, she visited the other day and she saw this. <laughs> it's just a pom-pom. It's just, it's just if a I hide it, if I pom-pom. put it away, it's somehow more illicit. Like, it feels worse. <laughs> I might as well just display it. I need a weapons rack for my whips. You do. That's next. Sorry, Brendan. Sorry, Brendan Fraser. I'm sorry. I, didn't, I accidentally hit him. <laughs> he didn't deserve that. <sighs> anyway. Um, what were we talking about? Myths? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about myths today. <laughs> I can't. So I listened to I, I listened to the Let's Talk About Myths Baby podcast, which I recommended to you. Mm-hmm. And so every time I like want to say the word miss i hear her say let's talk about miss baby in my head every single time i mean that's, that's a catchy actual... that's a catchy 
catch fire catch it's funny it's even funnier because she hates it she hates it now and she's like i wish i'd never done it because i really wish i could take the baby out of my podcast <laughs> name and i can't it's too late she's she's too big anyway uh, uh live is is very very cool she's on twitter she's a uh, she's got some hot takes i don't always agree with but by gum i like her yeah i follow her on twitter also now yeah yeah she's cool yeah. she's cool she's a wild one so anyway let's talk about miss hey okay hey yeah hey amalia yeah. yeah what do you like about myths what do you like about oh my God. specific i mean yeah well let's talk about bro- broadly because we can talk really granularly about like greek myths in particular and because that's you that's your zone right but like i mean overarching what is the appeal of using myths in fiction and in romance in particular but just you know so... like why do you I think that I live in a little bit of a niche zone. Uh, you never. Yeah. So, uh, like, the reason that I love myths and the reason that general people love myths are probably not the same. But, like, for me, I... So, I feel very strongly that myths are meant to be retold. Right? Mm-hmm. We are meant to engage with them. We are meant to retell them we are meant to revisit them we are meant to explore them because that process of engaging and exploring and retelling allows our understanding of the gods the divine Mm -hmm. to grow with us as a culture right like i don't think and none of this is meant to remain static and i have a little bit of a controversial statement to make can't wait because i feel like the Bible and the way that it has been strictly uh, codified has interrupted the natural progression and flow of what myth is supposed to do. Right? Mm -hmm. So because it's so strictly and literally interpreted by some parts of Christianity, like that, that has kind of interrupted how we can come to understand and better understand the, the divine. And I, and I think that that's kind of holding Christianity back in a lot of ways that we don't have necessarily with, I mean, there are people who are like, let's go back and reconstruct everything as it used to be. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting how the, how the development of the written word and how the use of the written word for religion mm-hmm. has changed things. Yeah. Because we've had the written word for a very long time, but the written word wasn't used religiously for a really long time. Like, we can see references to things like, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on uh, Sumer and, and Akkadian mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they, like... In their letters, they always, like, they, whenever they would open a letter, it would be like, may the gods keep and protect you. Right. And then they'd be like, dad, can you send me more money right. uh, below that? But, like, their actual, like, religious documents are few and far between. And the right. same is with the Greeks, right? You, we have records of things they would, you know, get for the temple and paying people right. and, and requests for, for you know, right. prayers. Who and owns rituals what and land. Like yeah. Exactly. But in terms of, like, actual like written canon of of religion yeah it wasn't until i mean a really like uh like judeo-christian flourishing um 
of of the written word and and the book the written world uh by i think it's oh i could be getting this wrong it's not Stephen Greenblatt, I don't think. But anyway, it's it's listed below because I do I actually already have that in the in my mm. like best books of all time. He talks about how the written word specifically absolutely changed religion when it was suddenly applied to codify things. Right. Um like the 10 commandments are a great example right. of that, right? Uh and how things like changed in fluidity. Um, and I and- feel like I have to say I'm not sure that this necessarily applies to to Judaism, because they have a very rich tradition of discussion, yeah, engaging with, fighting about, mm-hmm. arguing over, like every every little piece of nuance and every element of of their mythic tradition. And I think that mm-hmm. like they are they do great work interrogating what uh-huh. has been codified for for their faith tradition, but that's something that Christianity just doesn't seem to have the same drive to do we did and then we decided that the bible was the bible you know like when we the day that what was it the i'm blanking on what the actual event is called but when all the cardinals came together in rome to create like the the canon and get rid of the books they didn't want right like got a little tense there (laughs) and like there is this there is now a a very strong tradition of literalism which i think like i don't think that myths are supposed to be literal yeah like ever really Mm -hmm. i mean i I think that there are elements that like for me when i'm like engaging with the myths what i want to know is what is the essential character what is the essential like what is the essence of this god what is the essence of this mythic figure of this hero and and that's what i'm looking for in the myths and a lot of the other pieces are are much more negotiable but the essence mm-hmm. of who the person who the person who the divine is that's like that's really what i'm all about and i think that this is this is why myths are so important right because they allow us a keyhole through which to see something larger than ourselves mm-hmm. and i yeah I, and that i think that we all like most of us not everybody well i mean maybe everybody because it seems like where religion fails some people science kind of fills the gap right like religion and science are they should really be living in peace with one another because they're both trying to answer questions and they can answer them like as companions Right. They don't have to answer them in opposition and where they where there is opposition. Like, I think that it can be reconciled. But I just think that that we have this humans have a drive to understand the greater world and and the divine and myths are part of that understanding. So I I would say that one really good example of this, I think a a really clear indication of why myths are important is when most people become interested in myths. Mm. I think this is like absolutely illustrated. Most of the people I know went through a myths phase in their early to late adolescence, right? Like 11 to to 13. Uh, And what are you doing at that time? Discovering autonomy, discovering yourself, your goals, what you value. And I think in, we all had like 
a thing. Um, uh, 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 what is it? Pantheon that we all we enjoyed. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us found witchcraft. Some of us found you know Greek myths. Some of us found Nordic myths. Some of us you know like went full druid with it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and a lot of people I think kind of dismiss it as just like oh it's like stuff that you get into when right. you're like twelve, and right. then you know just like you get into Harry Potter, right, whatever, right, 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 and then you move on and you become an adult and you forget about those things. But I think if we look at the timing of why so many people fall into this. When they are that age, they're looking for archetypes to understand themselves. They're looking to understand their power better as an individual. And myths are a really grounded and accessible way to do that. To find especially your place for in the, world. the young. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 it makes sense. It, like the motivations are generally very clear and the lessons are very clear, but at the same time, they're also deeply complex adult situations yeah. and and decisions that have to be made and repercussions that happen yeah. um and that is kind of very appealing to you know a, a, a forming yeah. human being but i think um, i think that it starts even earlier right and this is something mm-hmm. um we don't like to talk about how the bible is also myth right that's mm-hmm. something that we get glossed over but how many of us grew up with noah's ark toys how many of us, like, like, just, like, I had, like, all sorts of Noah's Ark storybooks. Like, Noah's Ark was my jam. I loved animals. Like, I was, like, there for it. And, I mean, yeah. I I will admit that I maybe didn't have the the most normal upbringing when it comes to religion because my family was very Catholic. My mother has a master's in theology, which she um, began to pursue when I was still younger uh and she directed religious education at my at our at our church so she was so i was always very engaged with that and and maybe other people aren't i i don't know (laughs) i can only speak to the fact that i was kitted out with every single biblical myth that could be turned into a bite-sized storybook for a child and I devoured all of it, even from a very young age. And, oh, man, I had these, uh, I also had, like, cartoons of the stories of the saints, right? Well, yeah, Veggie Tales oh, over here. Yeah, yeah, like, um, these predated Veggie Tales by quite some time. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, it's it's all of that, and and we're interested in it from, from even before then, like, it might yeah. be adolescence where we start branching out and looking at other mythic traditions, but we are steeped in myth, even mm-hmm. even from a very young age. So it seems natural that when you're looking at your adolescence or your pre-adolescence and you're trying to find your place in the world, that then you're exploring what other myths are out there to explain the things mm-hmm. that you have been like absorbing for your whole life but at least for me is my whole life (laughs) you know and i i am interested to get your opinion on so the the reason this episode came about is because we've been talking about um the recent wave of mythic retellings that have been very popular like song of achilles (laughs) uh, your favorite book ariadne Uh, (laughs) i'm over here like with my fingers crossed like 
Please, please let this be. Please, please let the market turn. Please. Well, they're not coming out in like a huge amount yeah, yet. It's a so like you, you got you got yeah. time. I mean, it's because I mean a thousand ships is the one I've sold the most mm-hmm. since. I mean, I'm always selling Battle and Mail, right? Right, Song of Achilles and Cersei, like always. But but in terms of like other ones, the one that's really selling at the moment is is a thousand ships, and that's you know yeah. not like huge. Um, but but it's happening yeah. for sure. So it's like, uh, why do you think at the moment? Per, it, Right now, in 2021, where we are, mythic retellings are having a moment. So, this is all kind of, like, off the cuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. I I think that there's a couple of things happening. Number one, I think that we have been inundated by more modern stories for a very long time now, right? The market has Mm -hmm. been very World War II. Now it's, oh, it's still now it's World War II, post-war. Um, and even before that, it was like, you know, revolutionary war. Like it's all, it's mm-hmm. been very modern history for a very long time. And I think that there's an appetite for stories of, that set in periods earlier than that, that is, has gone unfulfilled for, for quite some time now. So I think that that's, that's number one. So number two, we're staring into the face of our own destruction. And I, I have to say that I, I have a very deeply spiritual practice in life. And my feelings about this are influenced by my personal gnosis, which um, I don't know if you're, listeners are familiar with that term, but um, unverified personal gnosis is basically your personal spiritual experience of the divine, right? So I do a lot of rune casting and I, and I have a very connected relationship to the divine. So, so I, I feel like I get some waves that other people maybe aren't experiencing and people will argue that what I'm experiencing maybe isn't real, whatever, life, spiritual experience, it's all fraught. But when we are in this place of, we don't even know what the landscape, what the world will look like in 20 years, 30 years, there is so much that could change so rapidly because of climate change, because of uh, political unrest, I think it is natural that we would reach back to myth mm-hmm. to to find reassurance or assurance or or just any any connection to something bigger than ourselves mm-hmm. to to feel safe or to feel like the world will keep going because because we've seen the world keep going before. Yeah, I think that also is it plays a large part in it, right? This connection to a gloried past, mm, right? Mm-hmm. That we feel that, you know, we know we're we're like uh, you know, whitewashing so much of of I mean not only racially, but like just in in content, yeah. right? Uh we know that it was bad that yeah. we would never ever want to live there, but there is this I think there's a very human need to reach back and be like we have 
a history of fighting for our our the things that still matter today our families our our love our social identity like all of those things and being able to connect yourself to a past that where we where we won where we overcame well, things and, is and i think um also opposite the opposite right mm-hmm. where um we want reassurance of our moral superiority Because that's Mm -hmm. how we're taught about these people of the far past, um, the people whose cultures we have turned into myth. We are taught that we are morally superior to those peoples of the past. And I think that looking back at those myths, we can reassure ourselves that, oh, well, you know, we're still better than them, which I don't think is true. But that's like a totally different. That's a different branch off of this tree. (laughs) I, I also I wonder, too, I'm I. I have a lot of mixed feelings about our, our here country. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I I find America endlessly fascinating. I find our history endlessly fascinating. And personally, as a, you know, a fucking a white trash, like my, my mom's family has been in America probably since the first convicts were shipped over at Jamestown. <laughs> um, like we just, we've been poor the whole goddamn time. That's right. And so... We we are, you know, the the quintessential like white American just mutt. And so we have a very particular identity within America mm-hmm. and a lack of identity mm-hmm. within America. And I wonder how much is a very American peculiarity, which is uh the grasping for tradition, um, the the grasping for a cultural narrative that we don't actually have that isn't ours right you know right um you know we're not greek a lot most of us i would say are probably not greek except for my friend cat who is very greek um but like but so those aren't ours but i think it's the american way to kind of assimilate anything oh. that makes us feel like oh, we yeah. have something oh, yeah. of a history of a culture the american a, way you know? is definitely cultural theft yeah, 100%. 100%. Just look at the hamburger. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 I think that there is that rootlessness for sure. Like, and this is, mm-hmm. I think, part of the difference between the American historical fiction market and, and the United Kingdom and the British historical fiction market, right? Because the British historical fiction market is what's producing a lot of these mythic retellings. Mm-hmm. Like most of them are coming from uk authors uk publishers before they come to the united states well they got all those dang marbles they did dang did steal (laughs) they got a lot of inspo over there huh but they also have a a history a tradition of roman like roman britain right they were yeah they have roots in the classical period that we in the united states do not necessarily have unless we are um, Greek American, Italian American, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and and have still ties to the old country, to to in some traditional cultural manner, right? And, and mm-hmm. I mean, I'm Italian American. We definitely feel very Italian to ourselves, whether we look Italian to Italians. I mean, I think that we're loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
but 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 maybe not i mean we still have family in italy we have my grandfather's cousins still live in italy um and and so there's still there's still a little bit of connection like we're not we mm-hmm. we aren't an old family we aren't an old family in america right my my grandfather mm-hmm. came through ellis island so even that though even just those few generations removed creates kind of a a rootlessness Mm-hmm. And I think that people don't like having that feeling of, no. of rootlessness. They want to feel a connection. They want to feel part of something bigger. They want to feel part of something bigger. And they want to try. They, they, they yeah, want that. Like that's the, that's yeah. what myths give us is a yeah. look at the something bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just I think it's also interesting because we have this much wider, very complex, nuanced view of where myths sit, right, in the in the cultural consciousness and why we need them and why we still tell them, why we still adapt them to to today and and in these retellings. Um, uh, but specifically speaking of in romance, it is very interesting what myths do in romance because i think we have a lot of mythic retellings in romance yes but they are all extremely diluted they're all like you know hades and persephone yeah well there's a reason for that (laughs) yeah it's almost like you don't get happy endings a lot of times in the the most of the myths are pretty tragic like you really have to pick your Start and end points very carefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want to romance them. And, and like, that's like, maybe that's part of the fun, right? Uh-huh. For romance authors, because if you, like, that's a, that's a constraint that maybe we're not used to working under of how mm-hmm. to, how to pull from this larger tapestry the happily ever after. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, like, I, but I, like you, there's, there's other options too. Like, I mean, yeah. you can carefully choosing the ending and the focus on like the very small piece of the story. Like Disney's Hercules with Megara, right? Like <laughs> you watch that movie and their romance and you're like, oh, it's so cute. It's too bad he's going to murder you and your children later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Too bad he's going to straight up gack you, man. Poor Megara. I always, so I shipped Megara and Hades super hard as like a four-year-old. I remember being like, I don't find Hercules very interesting. What if she stayed and became queen of the underworld? I had no idea that Persephone existed. Sorry, Goyle. But like... You know now. You know. To be I'm, fair, Megara does have kind of some Persephone sass in Disney's Hercules. She do. She does. She She's do. like really, she's bringing it. Yeah. I, uh, I've been listening to um, one of my favorite podcasters. Her name is Jamie Loftus, and she has a podcast out now called um, ACCast. It's her chronicling the history and creation and like cultural impact of the Kathy comics. Um, <laughs> and and she's hilarious, but she also is like, she's the whole thing is like with interviews with the Kathy Guys White and stuff like that. And it's fantastic. Definitely, definitely listen to it if you haven't already. Um, 
But she talks about at one point the uh, this the history of feminism and uh, Kathy's place in it, but also how we had this like weird like corporate concession to performative feminism at, in the like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And Megara specifically was a very like, okay, she's a, she's a damsel. She's in distress, but she doesn't need any help right. sort of thing. Right. But is still fitting into these really narrow feminine roles. Yep. Uh, like, which is just not really super relevant to the conversation. Fantastic side note in the, in the podcast. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think you're onto something there. I, I, and I think that a lot of Disney's princesses um, in the 90s uh, fall into that same kind of trap. They had a personality, but it was like personality light. Yeah, you know? I, they definitely had a personality. It's just that they were still very constrained yeah. by yeah. by the society around them and didn't necessarily have a lot of their own agency. Like one of the things that I find fan fa- like fascinating personally about Beauty and the Beast, which I love Beauty and the Beast, the cartoon version, please. Yeah. Like the live action is a bloated mess in my her humble dress, opinion. Her dress was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> what were they thinking? I, I, and like trying to give Gaston that like tragic backstory just made him like, no, I don't want to be sympathetic for Gaston. Like, get out. He doesn't, like... Listen, let's, he's let's, he's already not. so hot. He, he does not need, need to be sympathetic. any of that. Like, please. Yeah, I just... He's, he's Luke fucking Evans. I'm dying. All right, so, but the really... His song was a bop, though, I will say. The fascinating part about Beauty and the Beast, to me, is that Beast is the one who has the arc. Like, the character mm-hmm. arc of, of transformation and change. Belle is still just Belle. Yeah, she don't change. Like, she knows who she is. And there's strength in that, right? Uh-huh. And I think that sometimes we get caught up as authors in this idea that, well, our characters have to grow and change in order for it to be a story. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I think sometimes they can change the world around them by yeah. knowing who they are. And I think that that's what Belle's story is, where she she knows who she is and and she basically, by being herself unapologetically, changes the world around her. And part of that change is the Beast. I think there's something to be said for, like, an anchor character, yeah. right? A character who is strong enough and who is, you know, functional enough to... They can have changes in what they think about things. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she changes in how she views the Beast, right? Right, right. Um, but, but in terms of, like... Yeah, having a character who's strong and who knows who they are and who's a good person and yeah. wants to see the world be better. Like, there's nothing wrong with that type of character. Not everyone needs to be an asshole at first, right? right or something, right, right? right? Or, like, really stupid or naive right. or something at first. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's just, it's it's interesting that uh, myths are... I. I <laughs> I guess it makes sense that myths are so just prevalent in romance in particular because we love our archetypes mm-hmm. in romance, right? We love mm-hmm. to play with the pieces we know, yeah. right? But at the same time, it is fascinating. Like when I was um, doing the Death in the Maiden episode mm-hmm. and I just was like trying to list out all of the things I could think of that had the Death in the Maiden trope slash the Hades and Persephone trope. And it was like so many, too many to count. Yeah. Way too many yeah. to count. Um, and in that sense, I think it's like it's, it's if you if you stop and take a look, 
so much is is myth yeah. in romance um, yeah. without even maybe realizing it. Yeah. Well, and I think that also so much is myth everywhere. Yes. Yes. Right? I mean, like, we have a whole giant media uh, empire built on superheroes right now. Mm-hmm. Where where do you think that came from? It's yeah. it's the myths. Like mm-hmm. we just picked them up <laughs> and put them back down over here with we a slightly some different new demigods. Package, right? We like we even like Hercules is is a character in Marvel. Thor is a character in Marvel. Like we didn't yeah. even really repackage them that no. differently. <laughs> We just decided yeah. we're going to make movies about them and tell stories about them and write comic books about them. And and that's fantastic, right? But yeah. here's the other thing I think that is appealing to romance. Well, plays to the strength of romance. A lot of these myths, when like when you're talking about like Persephone and Hades or um, Zeus's many affairs... The power dynamics are very iffy, right? Yes. Or we talk about we talk about often um, the rape of Persephone, the mm-hmm. the rape of um, the Amazon queen, right? Mm-hmm. Because both both Hercules and Theseus um, go to see the Amazon queen, and and Theseus comes home with an Amazon for his bride, right? And I think that one of the things, and this is part of what I think is important about retelling myths, and not everybody will agree with me because there is, and there is also an argument for, for maintaining that violence. Yeah. Yeah. Which like not to, to, to not um, sugarcoat the past, whatever. And I think that's fair, but we are living in a different world now. Yeah. We are allowed to reimagine what those relationships could be, to to rebuild them into something consensual. Mm-hmm. And this is something that romance in particular does very well, right? Yeah. Like especially modern romance, like finding ways to give women agency inside of constraints of our our modern culture and society well you know it's 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 the same thing i mean i think like particularly again hades and persephone is is a really good very widely known example of this Mm -hmm. uh with the the i've had an article that I read for for that episode, which was uh, the feminist reclamation of, of Persephone. Mm-hmm. And the argument was like, people are like, what are you talking about? This She can't be a feminist figure. She was abducted. She was, you know, it's like, well, but there's also nothing wrong with reimagining the story as, but what if she walked down into the underworld, what if she, right? What if she what if took she his hand? What if she had a choice? Yeah. Yeah. Or what if she made um, a choice? Yeah, what if she chose to, to yeah. willingly and with full knowledge yeah. eat the pomegranate seeds? Um and I I I find I don't I don't think there's anything wrong. And I also don't think that the 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 
Greeks of the time would see much wrong with that either. Oh, no. I think that it was so loose that they'd be like, yeah, sure, yeah, I mean, I mean maybe. The problem, I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the societal constraints would and cultural constraints would have existed in Greece, right? And yeah. so much of what has been preserved of the mythology, and these are, and myth is, pagan myth particularly, mm-hmm. is highly localized. Like, these are highly localized, highly um, individual cults mm-hmm. around these figures. Yeah. So what yeah. is preserved is is only, is like a monolithic, like, we, we try to make sense of it and try and make it all, like, fit together into one monolithic um, shape, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of the way that we, we try to do to do that with the Bible, right? But even yeah. even in the Bible, like you have four gospels and each one of them has a totally like the, there's a lot of difference between each of the gospels mm-hmm. and what is important in each of the gospels, what the what the authors focused on. And mm-hmm. imagine that, right? But among hundreds of communities. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Hundreds. Isolated communities. Hundreds too. of like, isolated didn't have, communities. Like, yeah. And every cult a little bit different. So mm-hmm. the Athena of Athens isn't going to be the same as the Athena of Thebes or the Athena of Sparta or the Athena, or the Athena of Pylos or Corinth or Thessaly, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of different aspects of the goddess coming out that are dependent on the local culture, the local flavor, the local, mm-hmm. um, the local exports. It's the context. Yeah. The, the like context everything, of where that God existed changed the Everything yeah. is dependent on the people yeah. who are engaging with her in their own particular context. So would we, and would would there be stories of Persephone making the choice to to join Hades in the underworld? Maybe. Can we mm-hmm. say with certainty that there weren't? I don't think that we can. And so much of what has been preserved was preserved by men. Mm-hmm. So much of what was written was written by men. How do we know that they didn't just dismiss those other things? Mm-hmm. And say, well, that's not that's not realistic. Yeah. That's not real. I mean, we're already saying that's not real. So, what difference does it make if we trim off the little a little bit of you know gender equality while we're at it? Yeah, yeah. And I I I think that you know to to just hammer it home, myths have always been and should always be fluid. Mm-hmm. So there is nothing wrong with reinterpreting them and reclaiming them again and again mm-hmm. and again and again. Mm-hmm. It is it's human nature. That's how we tell stories yeah. and that's that is wonderful. Um and and there is a certain I, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at the can the canon such as right, it is. Right. Uh and, and being like, wow, this is really interesting and I like this interpretation mm-hmm. and I'm gonna keep that one. Um but I, there's, 
there's nothing holding, no one's holding a gun to your head and saying that you need to go by whatever, what is, who is it? Uh, Edith something, her like Oh, Edith Hamilton's mythology. Yeah, Yeah. Edith Edith Hamilton's mythology. There's no, there's, you don't have to. It's fine. You're not going to get in trouble. Well, you might on the internet, knowing the internet, but like, if you're writing romance, you're in trouble anyway. You might as well do what you want. True story. True story. But like, I think that also, The idea that we have more ability to change than the divine, mm-hmm. right? That the divine must be static, that that Zeus and Poseidon and Athena must be static figures that we can only look through and see through these preserved stories that are 2,000, 3,000 years old, mm-hmm. while we are allowed to change is like, what? That's the height of hubris. Like, I'm sorry, but like, that's, what are you, why, why are we putting these kinds of limits on the divine? And like, this is obviously like the pagan coming, coming, coming to the fore. Like, you cannot put limits, human limits on the divine. You cannot do it. Okay? Like, the divine could be anything. Like, all of this, like, uproar about when Achilles was black in the Netflix series. Like, his mother's a goddess! Like, come on! <laughs> this is just my rant about the, whether or not Dumbledore is gay in the Fantastic <laughs> Beast movies all over again. Let them be gay, Janice! Exactly! Like, it's just, like... They're wizards! And, like, when Heimdall was cast... As, when Indra's elbow was cast as Heimdall in the Thor movies, oh, Heimdall, he can't be black. Like, come on! That was such a good choice. You know was such a good how well traveled the Vikings were? Do you know how much engagement they had with other societies? How dare you say that Heimdall was never black? You're, you're willing to accept that they're actually aliens, but not black? Mm. <sighs> <sighs> mm, I, I just that, can't. They can be anything they want to be. Anything they want I to be. I agree. I agree, Amalia. Is that your closing statement? I mean, oh man, are we already there? <laughs> yeah, we're already there. Okay. Can you believe okay, that? Wait. It's been, it's before, been 45 we're, minutes. before we're completely done, I just, okay. I have... I want to nail three points on okay, go as off. a romance author. If you want to write the myths, yes. if you want to romance the myths, I have three options for you. Okay? okay. We talked already about carefully choosing our ending and focus on a very narrow piece of a larger story. Yes. Um, I don't think I have to say more about that. But there's two more options. You can choose a lesser known mythic figure. Right? Like Madeline Miller does in Circe. Like, I live my life this way. You choose someone who lives around the edge, whose story is not firmly defined, and go to town. Right? <laughs> and let, let them go and to town. And let them go to town. Or somebody else. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and number three, you can subvert the myth altogether. Just because, Mm -hmm. like Abigail and I were talking about this whole time, just because the myth says this woman was stolen, raped, whatever, 
doesn't mean that's the only way it has to be. So find a way to give them their happily ever after, right? Like you can do it. And this is something I did with my Helen of Sparta series. Like this is something I think that Madeline Miller did really well with Cersei. You can find ways and the beauty of myth and the fact that we have so many different branches of conflicting stories of myth is that there, Mm. there might even be a way already. You just have to find that one line written by that one guy 2,000 years ago. A really good example of this, actually, is, I'm just thinking, is Lavinia by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, I fucking love that book. I cried so hard because it was the last book she wrote before she passed away. Um, But uh, that one is is literally based on a character who has no lines in in, uh, the... Uh, Aeneid, yeah. um, and but whose entire like function yeah. of the like literally Rome in in the Aeneid could not have been founded without her marriage right. to Aeneas, right. uh, this nobody who escaped from Tro, uh, Troy. Right. Uh, I said Trome, <laughs> Troy. Um, it's the same thing. Um, and, and, and so she literally like nothing could have happened. Right. They couldn't have settled if if she did not right. If, she had not been right. there, and she has no lines. Yeah. So Ursula K. Le Guin was like, okay, fuck you. I'm going to make an entire book from her perspective, and she's going to have all of the lines. Aeneas right. is going to kind of be barely in it. And the actual poet, uh, it, was, it was Ovid, right? 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 I know. Who wrote the Virgil. <laughs> Virgil. Yes, Virgil. Okay. Virgil. I had like is, I almost like blanked on that too. That yeah. is so embarrassing because I literally <laughs> named a character in my book after him. Ouch! Um, <laughs> it happens to the best. Okay, of us. it happens to the best. Of us. So, Virgil uh, is is also a character as he is dying on a ship. Um, He's, like, basically on this journey, and he's going to deliver the finished poem to the Emperor of Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's dying, and he's saying how much he hates the poem, and he's just, like, delirious. He is having visions of Lavinia, mm-hmm. who the story is from her perspective. Every time something terrible is happening in her life, she goes to this cave where she has visions of a dying poet. Right. Um, and so their timelines intersect, and he actually—I love— Ursula's just gumption where she was she actually gave him a line where she was like, I wish I had known you were this cool. I would have given you a line in the poem. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Do it. Well, and like also like Giants of the Frost by Kim Wilkins, right? It it focuses on Vidar and he like as you know, or maybe you don't, most of the Norse gods that are remembered, they all have a very specific role to play in Ragnarok. And so trying to get around that, and most of them die, right, in Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. So, like, trying to get around that, but, like, here's the thing, there are also the Norns in Norse mythology who are, like, literally the weavers of fate, right? So if something Mm -hmm. can be woven, can it also be unwoven? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And and so you can play with that. Right. And that's what and that's what yeah. Tim Wilkins does in Giants of the Frost in order to, to work into a, a work a happily ever after into that book. And I think it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love that book so much. OK. 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 So okay. are we are we okay. in the are we I 
Are we in the plug zone? Are we dipping our toes into the zip plug zone? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, okay. So, I have a whole giant list of mythic retellings I enjoyed. And I'm going to say The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornerchak, which is about Angerbod, who was Loki's um, lover and mother of his three monstrous children. And the author summarized this book as Angerbod just wants the gods to get off her lawn. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hot as Hades by Alicia Ray is a really sexy Persephone Hades novella. Um, I just read that. It's pretty excellent. The Secret Chord by Geraldine Brooks, which is about the biblical King David. It's historical fiction, not romance. Um, King David is maybe not. How dare not you? Ro- On yeah. this show? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But let me redeem myself with Ser- Serena DeWilde's Ambrosia Lane series, which starts with Desperate Housewives of Olympus. It's super sexy romance Olympian god hijinks. Like, it's like they all live on Olympus and they're, like, just, like, getting in in and out of bed with each other. It is hilarious. It's basically Love Island, but with with the gods. hilarious. Yeah. And YA romance, um, S.T. Ben's Elsker saga and her perfect order is about Tyr, the god of war. He's the hero. And, like... Like, these are compulsively readable books. Uh, uh, S.T. Bend, she writes just compulsively readable young adult romance um, that plays with Norse myths. Um, Giants of the Frost by Kim Wilkins forever. Um, and and then I just have to say that, like, literally mythic retellings is, is what I do. This is, this is... You are qualified to talk about this. I, we, we didn't say that at the top, but well, you are quite qualified. I wrote Helen of Sparta and by Helen's Hand, which is basically um, a retelling of The Rape of Helen by Theseus, wherein Helen actually chooses to go with Theseus. Not, like, she is not stolen against her will. She chooses him. Please read them. Please. I love those books. <laughs> I wrote them for me. Um. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that really hard. I get that. Um, and also I wrote Tamer of Horses, which is um, the marriage of Pirithus to Hippodamia, who was kin to the centaurs and the war with the centaurs that followed their marriage. If you don't read the epilogue, I have said this before, if you don't read the epilogue, you have a happily for now. I promise. <laughs> and let's read the epilogue and then it's a happily for yeah, naught I mean look they get some time to love each other it's beautiful I'm just I, hey and then, our, and then our boy uh, uh, fucks off to the really, future so yeah. it's fine Tamer of Horses is also like really it's a really sexy book cause I leaned all in on Pirithus is a son of Zeus so if you like the he sexy times I gotcha um, and then also my Fate of the Gods series as Amalia Dillon retells everything from the creation story, Adam and Eve, features Thor as a main character, Athena, Ra, um, touches on everything from like the birth of Moses to the Trojan War to Ragnarok. It's super romantic. There's a love triangle, which, you know, love or hate, there is a happily ever after for the chosen ones of the love triangle, some of you will hate me. 
<laughs> and then like myth adjacent titles postcards from asgard is free it's got thor's bond servant thialfi he is so cute and he will teach you icelandic um and he's good with goats and horses and with ladies I was about to say, and with Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, from Asgard with love about um, Sam, Samantha, and and her hero is Uller, who is a mostly forgotten Norse god. Um, and, like, I just, I love their story. It, it's just such a, it's, it's a book that I wrote for me in a very deep way. And I didn't even know that I was writing it for me, but it was the book I needed. And then Son of Zeus, like Abigail said, um, if you read Helen of Sparta and Tamer of Horses and you haven't had enough of Pirithus, don't you worry. I got you. Our boy, our boy learns how to operate a toaster, I mean, metaphorically speaking, and also like a front door and a car. Zippers. And a very unfortunate light post. <laughs> And 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 yes, a zipper in in a in a uh, was it a JC Penney's? Uh, I think it was a JC Penney's. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah, a just penny. <clears throat> so yeah, um, find me on Twitter at Amalia TD, uh, or you know, or go to my Twitter because we <laughs> our Twitters are basically the same feed now. We engage quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm also on Instagram, uh, and I have a website, www.amaliadillon.com, A-M-A-L-I-A-D-I-L-L-I-N. It's very important that you spell it D-I-L-L-I-N. No O. Not Dillion. <laughs> Not Dillion. Just Dylan. It makes me very unique. Um, Not Dylan yeah, either. Yeah, no, no E, no O, just I, just you got to put the dill in. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Um, yeah. I feel like you're gonna make some pickles. And uh, yeah, please, please pick up some of my books if you like mythic retellings. I got you. I got you, fam. She do. She do got you. Can attest to being got. <laughs> Yeah, uh, all of those links. Well, not all of them because Amalia, you it's like that. That is a you I did know. a I'm lot. Sorry. You did the most. No, but you can find Amalia's uh, all of all of Amalia's links and stuff to her website and her Twitter and her books and what all. I mean, again, this is uh, you have been featured on the podcast before, so they exist also in other episodes. But they will be here in the description below. On top of that, in our bookshop.org account, uh, in books featured on the podcast, that li- that list, uh, we got we got your books. We got Amalia's books. We got a lot of other Ew. books, but we got a lot of Amalia's books. If they's in print, they're in there. Um, and uh, yeah, I so in terms of my pluggables, if this is your first episode, hmm, all right, wild, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Ooh, welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the show that you've listened to ah, an hour of. Um uh you know, obviously, uh you can find me at Abigail K. Kelly. There are two K's in there, I'm sorry. Uh and then you can also find us at Kingdom Thirst everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. Uh you can also find 
our merch store at kingdomthirst.redbubble.com. Get yourself a uh, mug. We got, Do it. Get yourself Do a mug. It. Get yourself a nutrient slurry mug. Sip on that hot, hot alien boyfriend supplied drink. Uh, <laughs> don't make that face, Amalia. <laughs> I think it's a great mug. <laughs> it's a great mug. If you don't drink from that mug, you're a coward and I don't respect you. That being said, we do have an absolutely dope uh, Aliums mug, which is very Vapowave um, and and very cool. I kind of was looking, you know, those like jazz Dixie cups. I was kind of doing that business. Um, it says uh, aliens more like Aliums. Yes. <laughs> It's pretty good. My mom bought 12. Nice. That is a good life She's going to give them to people. I don't... My grandpa's going to get one. Hey, man. Take it. Take it. Take Uh, the win. I... I'm just gonna. I I I have to. I have to because otherwise I have. I I have nothing. It's done now. It's done deal. But they're good mugs. They're they're hey. They're dishwasher safe. They do hold liquids. They'll hold pens. They'll hold pennies. You can do whatever you want. Nutrient slurry that shit up, babes. Take a sip. Uh... I love you. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Also, obviously, like I said earlier, visit our bookshop.org account. All the links are below. If you want good book recommendations, hey, go through that list. Uh, the, the featured books, all of them, except for the notable uh, Flame of the Flower, and I don't even think it's on there, but I'll say it, uh, Pirate's Passionate Slave, PPS, uh, is not something I would recommend you read, but the other stuff, you're good to go. I also have uh, an unbiased list of best books of all time. <laughs> Totally, totally unbiased. Totally. (laughs) And I realized as we were talking, the book I'm thinking of, I believe, is it's definitely The Written World, but I believe the author is Martin Puchner. Um, Anyways, fantastic book if you want to know how, like, the written word changed everything and also how, like, publishing works and has always worked. And spoilers, that shit ain't changed in, like, 500 years. It's all. (laughs) Which is why it is the way it is. It's all the same. Same old, same old. Hasn't changed. Now we just send emails. That's it. That's the only difference. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, we can sign contracts digitally now. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> not always. Sometimes. Some of them still use fax machines. <laughs> Means I got to go to a US, a UPS and that's wrong. I shouldn't have to do that. Anyway, that's, that's been the podcast. I probably have other things I should say. Hmm. No, I got nothing. So that's it. That's it for the Plug Zone. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday. I don't know what next Wednesday's episode is going to be because, Amalia, this episode's coming out this what? Wednesday. Because we are, we are low. Wow. I took two weeks off of, of recording the podcast due to some shenanigans. So, like... This is coming out hot. So next week, I'm like recording four different episodes. I have yeah. no idea what's coming out. All right. Uh, so that'll be a fun surprise for you, for me, for everybody <laughs> listening. It'll be great. Can't wait. All right. Uh, thank you for being on again, Amalia. It's been a delight. Thank you very much for having me, as always. Love it. You will be back. I'm sure I'll be <laughs>